Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC as your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host there. And joining me is our transfer guru in the last days of the January transfer window, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, what a weird old window we've been peering into and wanting to jump out of, I guess, at times uh, across this month. It's really not lived up to what we would usually expect from a transfer window, given what we've seen from uh, recent ones. Um, I was warned coming into it that it would be slow. It wouldn't be great. But I really didn't think the fall off would be this stark compared to past windows. I mean, a year ago, the January transfer window, we saw over £800 million spent across the Premier League. And right now, I mean, there's... such a fall off. I mean, we are going to go over 50 million pounds, but at the moment, as it stands right now, recording this, we're below 50 million pounds being spent. Once you start throwing in, okay, well, Crystal Palace are going to spend 20 odd million pounds on a Blackburn midfielder and this will happen, that will happen. The overall spend might get to about 100 million, I guess, or maybe a bit over, but we're going to feel so far away from where we were. And obviously the last summer window was a mega one too. Um, I hope we can have some late activity. And I do get the feeling there's going to be a flurry of deals, but it ain't going to be the sort of stuff we've seen in the last couple of windows, that's for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And look, normally, I think it, this is this kind of speaks for it. Normally, when it comes to deadline day or the week coming up to deadline day, we do a full episode on transfers that we expect to happen, transfers in the offing. They don't always all come through. But there's definitely kind of movement. And today, we're not doing that. We're actually going to look a little bit more broadly at the transfer picture. We're going to talk about five players or a couple more than five players who might be the next £100 million transfer. (laughs) But those transfers are not coming in this transfer window. And instead, we're going to have to kind of throw it forward to look at the summer. And I think it's indicative of, of what this window has been like. But that kind of leads us nicely on to this first bit. We are going to talk about deadline day. We are going to talk about what might happen and some of those things that you kind of alluded to there that are still in the offing, even if they're not maybe the mega deals that we expected. But before we get into that, it's worth asking the question, is this a return to normality, DJ? Is it a kind of sense that over the last few windows in particular, we've seen the market explode? And look, some people call it the Neymar effect after that transfer to to PSG from Barcelona that basically threw the entire market into into kind of chaos. I like to call it the James Tompkins effect 
because I remember Crystal Palace heavily overpaying for a relatively average Premier League centre-back mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Is this the market kind of levelling out? And is this the influence of the new PSR regulations, the FFP regulations that we've seen? Is this a good thing for football in general? I can't see it lasting, if I'm honest. Um, I think it's a bit of reality check, for sure. And the profit and sustainability regulations that we're hearing talked about a lot this week have definitely had an impact. I think that Everton having points deducted definitely rattled a few teams. Obviously, Nottingham Forest um, getting a punishment too. Uh, Overspending is something that clubs are realising isn't going to be okay. So they are having to be a bit cautious. You think back to a year ago and you got Leeds and Southampton spending 40, 50 million pounds in January and trying to stay in the division. And now, as I've said at the top of the show, you're getting 50 million pounds spent across the entirety of the Premier League. Something's clearly happened to shake people up because you're not seeing Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton throwing that sort of money around at the moment. But I also feel that this is a reflection of the league right now. And I feel that there's not a lot of threat to half the team, half the teams in the league that might usually be worried about going down. So I think usually you might have had the likes of Fulham or maybe even given the positions that teams are in at the moment, I think you might have found a situation where Fulham or Crystal Palace, maybe Brentford, even Nottingham Forest in their situation would be looking to find a way to overhaul their squads. Forest, to be fair, Forest might be one of the busier teams on deadline day because they're trying to get a couple out so they can get a couple in. And that might actually end up working for them if they can bring in the likes of Gio Reyna and Sam Johnston. But I think that most people are in agreement that the bottom three is going to be the bottom three. And if it's not, it will probably be Everton. Maybe it'll be Nottingham Forest. So there's not that fear factor to go and spend. And then at the top end, I don't think that in past years, we would have seen people accept that they're not going to make the top four. But Man United, Chelsea and Newcastle, they're all more than 10 points adrift of the top four places. And they've got the likes of Tottenham, Aston Villa to now properly contend with. I think they genuinely don't think they can make it. And there's an acceptance that, okay, well, foot on the ball here. Let's not put ourselves in jeopardy further down the line. And let's be sensible. If a good deal comes our way, we'll consider it. If a loan deal comes our way, we'll consider it. We cannot risk rocking the boat here and overspending just to try and chase down that fourth spot, which isn't looking very likely unless we sign someone ridiculous. Look, Karim Benzema maybe could have had that sort of effect, but there's not many players you could really count on that would be available in this market that could do that. So I I generally think that, yes, there's the threat of being punished for overspending, but I also do think that a lot of teams just feel like they don't need to spend, like Fulham. There's all this talk about, should they spend on Brogia? Should they spend on Andre? Should they do this at centre-back? And I think the ownership are probably like, should we just leave it? Nothing's really going to happen to us this season. We're going to end up mid-table no matter what. Yeah, well, we hope that doesn't come back to bite, this full of ownership <laughs> in particular. But uh, we, we're recording this pre the game at Everton. Maybe if there's a, a shock result and a 4-0 loss at home, that might that yeah. might spark some some action in the county. <laughs> is, is that an element of, of kind of dominoes as well, I suppose? Because you're looking at the teams around you, below you. And last year, I think there was that sense that, you know, the teams right at the bottom of the table started to pick up players and, and try to overhaul the squads, as you mentioned. And it kind of springs everyone else into life. They're all, well, if, they're, if they're improving, we need to improve in order to stay ahead. And that kind of hasn't filtered through in, in any kind of sense. Also didn't work though, did it? If you think of Southampton signing Suleimana, at the time, did you think that was a good deal at the time? I thought it was a lot of pressure on a, a young player who hadn't played in the league before to yeah. come in and be the difference. But in terms of actually, you know, his talent levels, I mean, yeah, fine. Like, no, yeah. no bother with that issue. It's yeah. just that, you know, when you are in these situations and Southampton were a young squad to begin with, I know we're not, you're not particularly pointing on that deal, in, you know, as no, well, yeah. but yeah. you have to be smart with these things as well as looking at players who are talented. 
And I think that there was a lot of panic. And, you know, you can look at Leeds, for example, on the other Leeds hand. with Rutter. Well, exactly. But Jorginho Ruter has been phenomenal in the championship this season. So that, and look, you'd expect that from a player who costs that amount of money coming in, etc. <laughs> Although I thought that was an overpay. You're looking at it and going, okay, that has come off in the long run. But it wasn't enough to change things around last year. Would they have been able to get him for a more reasonable fee in the summer? Probably. They probably would have. And, and that's where it all starts to get a bit mucky here. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. But, you know, I think if you were those teams that are currently in the bottom three, you then look down to the championship, look what teams are experiencing now going down and fancying yourself to just come back up as well. I think you'd probably be giving yourself a good a good chance of doing that. So, yeah, I think there's quite a few facets to this, but um, ultimately uh, everybody's just a little bit scared i mean we're living through a, a cost of living crisis on a day-to-day basis as individuals and trying to work our way through that everyone's complaining they haven't got money it's nice to see a bit of reflection in that in in, in the premier league to be honest because i mean despite the fact that football is an escape from reality sometimes you do want to see other people having similar problems <laughs> so to suddenly or at learn, least they're reflecting you right yeah exactly you just you'd like to it's it's kind of been um, yeah, I, I just think not rewarding. That's the wrong word. But like in, in terms of how we look at it, like you said at the top, is it nice to see that this has leveled out? Yeah, it has been. I genuinely don't think it will continue. I think that we will get to the summer window and I expect um, Manchester United to go pretty big. Um, I think Chelsea will look to make their mark again. You already, we're going to talk about them across this episode. Arsenal will have more room to go and make um, big signings. And on the back of this window, we'll start to understand better. I might even do an episode around uh, PSR and what team's ability to spend next summer will be so we can get a better idea of where everybody stands. Yeah, mate. it sounds like one we can uh, we can come back to in the future, maybe next week. Ranking PSR ratings. We'll, wow. We'll find, a, we'll, we'll find a, a sexier hook for it than that. Um, just on tomorrow then, and well, today as you're listening to this, deadline day, what can we expect? It feels like lower level moves. We're not going to see any blockbuster transfers. But what can we expect from the movers and shakers? Because there will be some on deadline day. Yeah, I mean, you love West Ham are always doing stuff. Uh, right now, they're trying to offload a, a couple of like four nows. Looks like he's about to agree a deal to Betis. And Ben Rama's about to go to Leon, And they've been trying to get deals done for um, Jota and Osman. And so they need to... If, as we're recording this, that, that neither of those two deals going particularly well. So they'll look to find an alternative. Earlier on in the window, they were looking at Wilfred Nonto. I still think that that will be out of reach, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they could find a way to make something like that happen, given how his things are going at Leeds right now. Yeah, Nottingham Forest, as I mentioned, I expect them to have um, a reasonably busy couple of days. Nothing's going to be like earth shattering, mate. You know, the, the deals that we thought might be coming, like at the start of the window for Man United signing another striker, Tottenham spending £50 million on Conor Gallagher, uh, anything like that. Arsenal maybe signing a, a striker and a midfielder or defender, like no signs of any of that at the moment. And I think that's going to remain the case as we start to, to tick through this, uh, the last couple of days of this window. I'd like to. Um, give hope, but gen- generally, uh, I do think that, like, yeah, Burnley will sign a defender. Um, little things like that will happen. None of it's going to rock your world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially at a top level. Sorry, it's 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 going to. Adam be Wharton to Crystal Palace is quite a big deal. Really I mean, that's interest- that, that- I'm really interested by this. I, I really, really do. I like mean, in it. other windows, maybe you wouldn't be, but I think that this gently like. A twenty odd million pound transfer for Crystal Palace in this window um, is pretty significant, and actually, this is a very good player, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very, very talented. There's an amazing feature on on Scouted with him, an interview with with Adam Walton. It's well worth your time. It's on their on their free bits and bobs, so it, it's easy mm. enough to check out. But a really interesting read, a really interesting interview, and looks like he's you know, Premier League bound and and someone that's been. Been excellent in the championship this season. You know, Palace have, yeah. Palace has signed a right back as well for the first time I think since 2014. How about that? They've signed a right back for a fee wow. for the first time since 2014. 
It's going to be very interesting to see how that one develops. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think the last right back that Palace signed for a fee might have been Martin Kelly from Liverpool. Wow. There you go. That's a real callback. Oh, a real callback. Yeah. Sorry, back, yeah. Well, if that's the uh, that's what we've got to on this transfer window, we're reminiscing about yeah. Martin Kelly deals. This is why we are throwing it to the future, mate, because we don't want to talk about people scrapping around and signing players for the future and all this. We want to hear about the big ones, and that's why I thought, you know what? Let's talk about the next one hundred million pound footballer. Exactly, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing after the break. Don't go anywhere. New year, new rank squad. Kick off 2024 with Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery service. It takes the stress out of your meal planning and assists your goals for the new year. The chef-crafted meals are so good, even pro footballers would benefit from them. But here's what I like. Factor also now offers loads of snack options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, exactly the sort of stuff I'm trying to improve in my own hectic life. So, if you want some guru wisdom, then here's my advice. Head to factormeals.com slash ranks50 and use code ranks50 to get 50% off. That's code ranks50 at factormeals.com slash ranks50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. It's time for our main segment. And as we discussed, we are going to be talking about the next £100 million transfer. Having a look at who might be the next to break the nine-figure mark. Dean, what's the ranking looking like? It's quite good, actually. I've got quite a good list here. I have to admit, I always assumed that Mbappe would be the next £100 million footballer that we would be seeing. Um, but obviously, given the current state of his contract, he'll be leaving for free if he was to go. And it's only if he ends up signing a new deal that we'll actually see uh, Mbappe going for any sort of big sum. So we'll have to wait to see exactly what happens with that. But I think one of the things to look out for in the coming days is the knock-on effect that Mbappe will have, no matter if he leaves PSG free or not in the summer. Um, because this guy's impact across football is going to be felt no matter what happens. So there's a reason I won't be ranking Mbappe in this right now, but um, he does have an influence throughout the episode. So I just wanted to throw his name in at the top because he's obviously a very important player when it comes to the most expensive players in the world, because he's basically the best one. It's weird now, when isn't it, it, to, the... to think about he, he's in this conversation and yet he's just firmly out of it because it looks like he's moving on a free. And that's yeah. wild. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Like when he could be a hundred million pounds, two hundred million player in the world went for free. For free. It could be two hundred million pound footballer, but he's gonna be free. Um but at number five, here's a bit of a rogue one. Marcus Rashford. When I was putting this list together today. I was, it was feeling all of, I didn't want it to be too obvious. You know, I'm not, I can't make it up. I can't, I can't just throw footballers into a 100 million pound list. But I thought, well, I don't want it to be names that people would just reel off off the top of their head. And I thought, you know what? Marcus Rashford actually deserves to be in this list as a potential 100 million pound transfer because Man United have got a big decision on their hands in terms of how they actually deal yeah. with Marcus Rashford in the coming months. Now, I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of what's going on in his personal life right now, because uh, to be honest, I don't know quite how bad it is. And I don't know the limitations of, um, of the whole scenario. But what we do know is that Marcus Rashford was left out uh, of Man United's team at the weekend. We, we've seen the reports of him being away and um, you know phoning in to, to not be at training uh, and reports around the reasons for that. Now, They've got a big decision here. We've seen what happened with Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho wasn't reintegrated in the, into the squad after um, a fallout with Ten Hag. Rashford, it seems, already is going to be uh, reintroduced and is going to be allowed to, to work his way back. But there are also stories coming out that there are figures around Man United that really are surprised at the way things are going for him. And there's a fear that perhaps whatever's going on in his personal life is going too far and is affecting him as a footballer. I think, given the situation right now, Man United will be feeling 
maybe we should have cashed in when PSG last showed interest. And today, all of a sudden, there was a report suggesting that PSG might be interested if Rashford was to come back on the radar for a transfer. And that's interesting because I think PSG is pretty much United's only hope of being able to sell Marcus Rashford if it's not possible to turn around this situation at the football club. This is a player that's obviously born and bred Man United, basically, uh, born in the area, raised through the academy, brought through as the next best thing, the poster boy for the club, and somebody that you thought would reflect the fan base. But since him being somebody that was celebrated so much um, during COVID and lockdown to where he is right now, it's a very different person we're looking at. And if you don't know the ins and outs of his situation over the, over the past week or so, then by all means, go and you know press pause and go and read about it because I don't want to go into all the details right now. But um, you know whether quite how far his social life is derailing his professional life, we won't really know. But it's up to Ten Hag to deal with this. If Ten Hag's going to survive as Man United manager, then he has to be careful about how he deals with this. And I also think if Ten Hag doesn't survive at Man United, does another manager want to inherit more problems? You've already got issues with Sancho. You've got issues with Anthony. And now you've got problems with Marcus Rashford. That could have been one hell of a front three once upon a time. And now you're looking at three players that you'd probably just accept offers for if they came in on all fronts. Yeah. Marcus Rashford, if he was to go, if they were to decide to sell him, would cost £100 million or upwards. Would he? Now, the only reason I kind of ask that with the tone of maybe disdain is that not because I don't think that their talent is there to justify that kind of fee, especially with the money that's been thrown around in, in recent years for players. But we're coming off the back of a down year for Marcus Rashford. Now, a down year can be a down year. That's fine. That's not a you know career ending. It's not fatal, any of those things. And there might be loads of things going in in the background of of what's happened over the last week and all of the reports that have come out of, of Belfast. But more than that, the kind of point is, if Manchester United are willing to sell, and obviously the, the, the noises will always be, they're not going to sell a player like Marcus Rashford because, you know, they believe in having that homegrown Carrington-fed academy system that kind of is the, is the life, but lifeblood and, and backbone of Manchester United. But if it comes to it, and someone put a £70 million offer on the table, and there was a question mark over what next for Marcus Rashford, would Manchester United be looking at it and going, that allows us to reinvest? And that actually might be the kicker here, because if Manchester United don't want to sell Rashford, and let's put that at one end of a spectrum and say they don't want to sell him, then almost no amount of money, obviously everyone has a price, but there are, there are little amounts of money that people would be willing to pay would get him out of the club. But if they are willing to sell him and the situation has changed and they do want this overhaul and they think that the time has come to part ways, et cetera, then surely there also comes a point where you're like, hmm, we might have to accept what below what we consider to be the market average for him in order to actually get this overhaul cooking. I can't see it for the life of me, to be honest. I mean, Marcus Rashford's 26 years old, England international, four years left on his contract, highest paid player at the club. There's no way they can sell him for seventy million pounds. I mean, Ivan Tony's worth more than seventy million pounds, so Marcus Rashford has to be given everything he's already achieved in the game, and knowing that he is a much better footballer than Ivan Tony when he's on top of his game. Sure, but Mark, but Ivan Tony is worth an X amount of money to Brentford in particular because of the difference between where they are in the league table, potentially the difference between survival and relegation, etc. Those things are slightly more obvious. Whereas with Rashford, and especially with the performances we've seen this season, I think you'd be hard pressed to say that United are like much worse off when he's not in the team. And, and that's a slightly different conversation to have as opposed to someone like Tony, where the value is really quite evident or someone like Mitrovic for Fulham last summer, for example, where the value is evident because of what the numbers and the statistics put on the table, say. Yeah, but if you look at what Rashford's achieved in his best seasons for Man United, you're looking at one of the best players they've had in the last 10 years. You're looking at somebody that any club in Europe, I think in Barcelona, were, were linked to him at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and knowing that he's got four years left on his contract, 
and what he might be able to achieve across those four years if you could get him back to playing at his best um, leading up to the age of 30. You couldn't replace Marcus Rashford for £70 million. That's the problem. Uh, don't forget, I've talked about Sancho. You're going to be taking a massive hit on him if you decide to well, sell him. Say, Anthony, James you're taking Sancho a hit was on. worth £70 million when, when Manchester United paid that for him. There might have been but, a slight overpay, but he's definitely not worth that now considering the circumstance in which he's in to the club, you know? But you can't take hits on all those. You can't take him. And, and don't forget Mason Greenwood. Like that, That's a player that should have been in this conversation of being a £100 million footballer. And he is worth practically nothing to him now. Um, so that's already three players. And then you've got a fourth now in Rashford that was totally unexpected to be in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. We just, the only, the only, the only thing I think about it that I think might be interesting is that we talked about PSR and uh, look, we're not going to go into the, you know, the nuts and bolts of it right now. But there is something that if you sell a homegrown player, you basically bank the entire profit, right? Because there's no fee that you have to amortize there's nothing you have to pay off in terms of those debts and that in itself is you know therefore worth more and it's why we're seeing a lot of homegrown players we talked about this in the summer homegrown players moving on fans being a bit upset about it because actually it allows the club to bank the entire lot in one go yeah i mean there, there is there is that argument that i guess you you could look into um i mean let's not forget like when it comes to uh profit and sustainability regulations like Man United also drive um, a bigger commercial side yeah, of, yeah, of a business true. than than pretty much anybody else out there. So where other clubs can't factor that in as heavily, like Man United's commercialization is just way beyond what most teams have. Fair. Yeah, fair. Okay. All right. Let's move on from Rashi and uh, move on to number four. Well, it's a player I just kind of mentioned there um, in a Rashford comparison. And at number four, if we're going to look at £100 million transfers, then we do have to address the issue of actually how much Ivan Tony will be worth if he makes a summer transfer move. Now, obviously, there was a lot of talk coming into this January window about whether he might join Arsenal or Chelsea. And if that was going to happen, how much would it cost? A year ago, I would say the clubs were looking at Ivan Tony um, for the first time, really, big clubs, and thinking, okay, well, what could he do? What would his value be? And I think they'd have been looking at early doors, 50, 55 million pounds. Then it gets a bit deeper, and okay, the, that might not be plausible. Goes through his whole betting ban, comes back into this winter, and suddenly you've got a player that's being talked about legitimately as a 70 to 80 million pound player. Now, seen a report recently talking about him as a £100 million player if Brentford do decide to sell him. There's also the, we have to consider whether he was to sign a new contract at Brentford, which was talked about, and having clauses within that that would allow him to go, both either on his side or on Brentford's side, to guarantee a certain amount of money, and whether that might become feasible. I have my doubts, I have to admit, over... Ivan Tony being a £100 million football because my personal hunch is that where I could see somebody paying £100 million for Marcus Rashford if he was made available, I'm not sure Tony quite fits the bill of being a £100 million footballer. And if he is, who's going to actually pay it? He's pretty much looking at Chelsea and Chelsea only in my eyes. I don't believe Arsenal would go £100 million on him. No. I know that there's interest from Man United to a small degree. And I mentioned uh, Tottenham, I think, on Patreon. Um, and there is definitely an element. But neither of those clubs are going to pay £100 million for him. So I think we have to include him in the conversation because there's a legitimacy to it. And we know that he's ambitious and wants to transfer Will he be a hundred million pound transfer? That's going to be the question. Brentford would love him to be. They, they would accept that. I think they would accept him leaving if he was one hundred million pounds. Their problem is him going to seventy to eighty. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, the other thing with this is that you mentioned the contract, and this is something we're going to feed into a little bit more across the course of this ranking, I'm sure. But Ivan Tony's contract expires in summer 2025. So it comes to a point here where either he signs a new contract that has an amount in it or a release clause in it that he feels is acceptable and approachable. If he wants that transfer, as you know, he's been pretty clear on, and that's fine. You can be open about what you're looking for and what you want. 
But he's, you know, even in those interviews back, he was like, yeah, let's see. I've made no, no secret of the fact that I want to go and challenge at the top end and, and challenge for trophies and try and become England's number nine. And that's all fine. Well and good. But he's not going to sign a contract, I don't think, a new extension with Brentford if the contract says it's going to be £100 million. Because I think as much as he rates himself and he backs his own ability, he would also be like, well, why would I price myself out of a move in that regard? And if he doesn't sign a new contract, then Brentford are about to enter this summer the last 12 months of that contract. And therefore, their negotiating power is in some way reduced. Yeah. um, Yeah, I, I totally understand that. The reason that he's listed higher in the ranking than Rashford, I know it sounds weird because I've just said, well, Rashford's a hundred million pound player all day long and I'm not sure Tony is, but there's more chance of Tony he making is. a transfer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's that's why I've done it this way around. Um, Ivan Tony has one England cap. I mean, if you were paying a hundred million pound for a striker, you'd like to think they've got a bit more than that under their belt by the age of 27. Um Late bloomer. Look, he has been. He absolutely has been. There's, there's, you know, how many years ago was he joined? He joined Brentford from Peterborough in 2020, right? So he's done well. He's done very well to suddenly like get to this height. And let's see. Look, if he's if he can, I think the way to basically figure this out will be across the rest of this season. If he goes in a goal blitz or signs a new contract or makes the England squad for the Euros, suddenly his price rockets. And that's where he might actually get towards that £100 million figure. What's really weird is that Ollie Watkins is three months older than Ivan Tony, with a relatively secure Premier League record who's been excellent this season. And I don't see anybody talking about Ollie Watkins as a hundred million pound footballer. And I think that if you were to give me a choice between those two strikers, I would bite your hand off for Watkins all day long. And yeah. I mean, that's what I, I find really interesting about this entire situation. Yeah. I mean, there has been some murmurings about Watkins and a transfer last summer, but nothing obviously came through. And nothing in I this just... range either. No one was like, Oh, I'm going to pay a hundred million pounds for Ollie Watkins. No, they're not going to, are they? That's just, it's just an interesting comparison to make. Like, obviously, two players <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah, have yeah. relatively similar bringing, upbringings in, in, in terms of both played for Brentford and they're relatively similar ages. They were both relatively late bloomers in terms of getting to the Premier League and making a mark. I just find it mad that Tony is being put in this conversation and Watkins isn't. He's a self promoter. I think he's put himself in that conversation. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe so. Maybe the uh, the the associations of a bad boy, you know, with his with the situation he's gone through, as as given clubs a Jesus complex, they're they're going to try and fix him. So we'll see how we go. Let's it's go funny, isn't three. it? Like, well, you consider like the two people I've just talked about, Rashford and Tony, and what their last year has looked like. Like Rashford's had a nightmare season. All sorts of off-field uh, headlines about how he's living his life, and then you've got Ivan Tony, who just served a long ban for betting, which uh, obviously hugely frowned upon, despite the fact he's made to wear a football kit with a betting sponsor. Um, so you can figure out the ethical uh, morals within football that, that surround that. But both of them considered to have issues, yet also both considered to be a hundred million pound footballers. That old world, wild, wild. Go on then, let's get to number three. Number three is Mo Salah. Um, really interesting. This four months ago, Liverpool rejected an offer for Salah that was about a hundred million pound, but with add-ons that would get him towards being worth a hundred and fifty million pound, and that was obviously to take him to the Saudi Pro League. Now, generally, the Saudis have steered away from mega transfer fees, so I was surprised when they actually. Um, put in a verbal offer that that is that significant to Liverpool. And Liverpool obviously batted it away. This is a player that turns 32 in the summer. Jurgen Klopp's going to be leaving Liverpool. The Saudis come back in. How much are they willing to pay for him? Al Itihad are the team that he would be expected to join, given that's what the situation was last time around. He is Liverpool's top earner, but obviously he would earn more than that if he moved to Saudi Arabia. Given that they are going to go through some transition, given that Salah's contract does expire a year later, and there is some doubt still as to whether he signs it because he's not given any indication on where his head's at right now, this is interesting. 
I didn't really expect Salah to be considered as the next £100 million transfer. And it's part of me still thinks he'll stay at Liverpool anyway. Maybe a couple of years ago, you know, maybe if Real Madrid were really looking for that that right winger to, to take them back to the top level a couple of years yeah, ago. It's Saudi or nothing here, it. isn't it? Yeah, this this is a weird one in that there isn't going to be a top European club that pays £100 million for a player of Salah's age, I don't think. I think Real Madrid in particular have had their fingers burned a little bit with the whole Eden Hazard saga and what happened yeah, they after won't be that. Doing that. So there does feel, and also, like you know, they're changing strategy that has meant that they're buying younger, fine, all of those things. It is weird that with everybody else on this list, you're talking about a variety of clubs who who might come in here and make make the make the difference or or at least be interested. Whereas I think with this one, it is very much feels like it's one way or or no way. Yeah, exactly. I found it really hard to like figure out where Salah would be in a list, but I think this is right because it's right in the middle. <laughs> I think that that's literally yeah. where Salah's future sits right now. You're half just expecting him to say, look, we've lost Klopp. I'm not going anywhere. We're, I'm not going to put you through that right now. We're not, we're not losing, you're not losing everything. I'll be here for you. But then I also think that if a bid did land and it was a hundred million pounds or more, Liverpool will have to think, should we just sell him? Because we're never going to get this money again for Mo Salah. And it does actually help us take this team on because we're not even sure we need a replacement because we might already have a, a front line that's equipped to go without him, given what we've seen recently while he's been at AFCON. Like Liverpool still continuing to attack well, still continuing to score goals, still succeeding. But they could also strengthen in other places and make sure that the next manager can refit his team as he sees needed. So I'm honestly straight down the middle on this, but Mo Salah could definitely have a situation that arises whereby he does become the next £100 million footballer. Yeah, I find this one really interesting because it's not just about footballing impact. It's about the fact that the Saudi Pro League sees Salah as you know, the global icon of of the Arab world in in football and therefore to bring them you know, Salah to the project would give it that sense of sort of homeward legitimacy and all of the kind of geopolitical aspects of this make it incredibly interesting. And it's also why there's only one place he could go here that would be willing to pay mm. this kind of money. But when those two borders start to blur, I think makes this really interesting. I, I agree with you. I don't know if I have loads more to add on it, apart from this is going to be turmoil, I think, for Liverpool. Obviously, we've seen Virgil van Dijk already coming out and being like, I don't know what, what the future looks like. Now, his contract doesn't expire till the same summer as, as Salah's, but equally, it's you know it's another yeah. one that Liverpool fans are going... Trent too, mate. Trent, us, same time. us with just blow after blow after blow? I don't think so in, in many ways. I, and I still, I'm with you. I think that both Salah and Van Dijk probably stay. Van Dijk more so. I would say that uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Virgil van Dijk will be playing in a Liverpool shirt next season. I'm... <laughs> I'm about 60-40 on Salah in terms of 60%. I think he'll stay 40%. Mm. I wonder if Liverpool will actually go, look, Mo, this is a wild opportunity for us to be able to actually take that cash flow and reinvest and completely, you know, rehaul this squad under a new era. Maybe he would do that because because that kind of sense of, okay, this is this is something fresh, something new. Hey, I actually put my personal view on it is that I think it would be a great time to cut ties if that offer came in again. I think it's perfect that you do lose him at the same time as Klopp and that you actually like, okay, that's all gone now. That era is behind us. The Klopp and Salah era is gone. We move on. We're still a great team. We've got a load of money behind us. We've still got whoever's in charge, like say Xabi Alonso's in charge. He's got great ideas too. Let's go again. Um, You know, imagine being us, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's going to be very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> I thought that would be the shortest segment anyway. So, um, Well, I, I think, think there's, we... it's, it's more cut and dry than quite a lot of them. It's like either that offer comes in and Liverpool decide it's time to start fresh or they don't. And yeah. therefore it's it, it's a non-starter. It, it, that one, it feels quite binary, whereas the rest of them feel a little bit more up in the air with all the things going on. Absolutely, yeah. Look, I've talked about Kylian Mbappe's influence that would be felt across this episode. I talked about Marcus Rashford being potentially the man that could replace him at PSG if they wanted to go and sign a £100 million footballer. But there's a better option. His name's Rafael Liao. Um, He's got a whopping clause 
in his contract. It's 175 million euros, which equates, uh, for reasons of this show, to about 149 million pounds. Or nearly so this 200 is big, million dollars. This is a big one, mate. This is a big one. Uh, if we are going to see it come off. Um, word so far is that Milan would insist on that full clause being met. Now, obviously, we do see situations whereby players have these crazy clauses and it's kind of just a sign of like, if you're going to leave this club, it's going to be hard. But with Liao, 175 million euros means 175 million euros by all accounts. Now, there have been reports recently that PSG already starting to make inroads with Liao's camp on whether he'd be interested. Let them know that they would like him to come in if Mbappe does leave. And uh, it kind of looks like to me, to be honest, that he's the top target to replace Kylian Mbappe. Um, However, this is early stages, very early stages. But there was a report today, in fact, that Mbappe is going to make a decision this week. Now, I've read that four or five times before. Yeah, I read that last week. <laughs> <laughs> but if Mbappe does make an announcement like that, and given that Klopp's just made an announcement and Xavi's made an announcement, he might as well make an announcement this week as well. Um, I hope he makes a documentary like Griezmann. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just come up with a better name for it. I'll call it the same, actually. What was it? I am legend. No, 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 no. The, the decision <laughs> one first. Remember, oh, the decision, decision one first. first, not the legend one. La decision. Yeah, that did this is on that. That'll be fine. I'm happy for Mbappe to do that. Um, but yeah, he obviously signed a contract extension uh, last year, and he's contracted until 2028. So Milan have got him tied up. But do they realistically think that they're keeping this player until 2028? Probably not. But they know that no matter what happens, they're going to be winners from this situation. He's 24 years old. It would absolutely rip it up at PSG. He might even get me liking PSG. Who knows? Uh, I love him. And if you're looking for an Mbappe replacement, it's him. He's yeah, him. There's no, there's, there's no better, is there? That's the, no. that's the one you're kind of looking at and going, is there anyone who could step into these shoes? A lot of money, easier mate. than Rafael Liao. Yes, but if you're replacing Kylian Mbappe, I think it's quite interesting that PSG are about to get Neymar. Like, do you remember what happened to Barcelona <laughs> yeah. after Neymar left and they splashed all that money on Usman Dembele and Coutinho and all these players who were meant to fill the void and yeah. none of them did. And I wonder if PSG have seen that and gone, right, let's make sure that we have contingency plans in place rather than absolutely panicking and, and, and going on one and actually yeah. it ending up being a disaster as it did for Barcelona. This feels to me like the most sensible move if Mbappe does decide to go. And I think that PSG are smart enough to know that they will just have to pay that clause. And oh, to be honest, the idea of Dembele and Liao running down the either wings is is terrifying for, for opposition. Yeah. Not that Mbappe and Dembele isn't, but there is something about the kind of freshness of, of someone like Liao coming in and the impact that would give. Oh, I, I think it would be incredibly entertaining. I think stylistically it's great. I think ego-wise he's got it. I think... Um, in terms of replacing the commercial aspect that Mbappe's got, I think Liao has that potential like globally to to become that household name. I don't think he's quite there yet. I don't think, you know, in the, in the broader football world, there's a, a general sense of understanding of just how good this guy is. But he'll show everyone. There's no doubt about that. And in Liga, it's fail-proof. That's the thing I want with Liao's next deal. You see him get linked to either the Premier League or La Liga. and I, I don't know about it, man. Like, I don't know about that. It has to be so right or it could go so wrong. And it scares me that Liao's career goes wrong. Yeah. And I just feel like PSG shouldn't go wrong because he's too good for that and that that could then lead to something else. A few years later, when he's he twenty-seven, twenty-eight, Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah, Real Madrid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. As soon as he as he goes out the other side, yeah, I, I, no, I, I would like to see Liao somewhere where he is constantly having to prove himself. 
But I do agree with you that obviously this has less chance of failure. I think that there is always that slight sense of, is it a little bit more obscurity? And I would suggest that, you know, from my perspective, at the very least, Serie A to, to Liga represents a minor step down. And that's from someone who likes and watches a fair bit of Liga. So mm-hmm. this isn't coming from a place of, oh, I don't like the French League. I do. I just think mm-hmm. that that would be a step down in terms of slight quality level across the board. But also I would probably add that he is currently at one of the most storied clubs in European history. Now, PSGR remain, if a very talented upstart, but still an upstart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the age of these clubs and what they've you know achieved across the back of European seasons. Now, we are in the age of the upstart. So it's not to say that this is, is yeah. not going to work or it would be a failure. But I do think there is something. He, he's currently wearing the 10 shirt and one of the most storied clubs in Europe. Mm-hmm. And something in me draws for Liao to stay where he is. But I appreciate that that might be a little bit of fancy living. Oh, mate, I'd love it. I'd love Liao to stay at Milan for life. Definitely. Not going to happen, is it? Not going to happen. Probably We'll see. £149 million is a lot of money, but it's PSG, so it really doesn't matter. So if he's not the next man to be worth £100 million in the transfer market, there is one man who is almost certain to go in this bracket in the summer, and that is Victor Ozyman. Mm. Here we go. This one has to be number one because he's basically said he's leaving. He says he knows where he wants to go. He's hinted that he wants to go to the Premier League. Seems like that to me. Victor Ozyman is going to be a £100 million transfer. I don't know for sure he's going to be the next one because one of these other four might actually get the deal before it happens with Ozyman if it's not until the end of the summer transfer window. But he's a top target of Chelsea and I have to say I do expect Chelsea to put everything into this and actually it wouldn't surprise me if they had an agreement in place for the start of the summer window such as their need for a player like this. So you've got a player who's already Agent made up his John mind. John Obi McKell's been working well hard behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. It didn't know even that hard, to be honest. He's just like, you're going to Chelsea. Um, <laughs> look, Ozyman's going. So that, that side of it's done. Like, he's not staying at Napoli. The clause. Well, I mean, he can't. Like, and, and this is it. You know, for, and th- again, this is coming from a place of love for Napoli. I, I Last year, watching Napoli win the league again, was one of the great delights of the season. I absolutely loved it. Every second of it, I enjoyed. And watching the Spalletti work of art being pulled apart by De Laurentiis and every failed manager he throws in charge to try and salvage it has been heart-wrenching. But if you're Victor Osterman, you're like, well, I can't stay here. And I think that if they'd gone and won the league again, if they'd been able to build on this and actually put something together that had allowed them, I think there would have been an argument to say, we're better for you right now, Victor. Instead, Derek is no doubt in my mind that he's like, what on earth would I stay here for? Yeah, exactly. And as I say, like he does, he talks about the Premier League, he hints about the Premier League. I believe he's picked the Premier League as his next destination. I don't really see where else he's going to land like now. Once upon a time, I might have said Real Madrid, but there's no signs of Real Madrid um, going down this pathway at the moment. It would make sense. They do still need a nine, even if they sign Kylian Mbappe. But they tend to have quite a long-term strategy of who they're going for. And I feel like this would be a bit more reacting to a situation. That's the only reason I'd be surprised about it right now. But I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, Chelsea will make him an offer. They will. It's just whether he wants to join Chelsea, really. I mean, there is the... Financially, no problem. Forget PSR. Forget all of that stuff. Chelsea could make a deal happen financially to sign Victor Ozyman. What they can't give him is Champions League football. That's interesting. That is quite interesting because while it's not the be-all and end-all and sometimes you just have to accept that like, okay, you might have to be a bit patient here because Chelsea are going to be playing Champions League football again at some point in the next couple of years. It's interesting he's not going to be getting it straight away. But who else is he going to go and sign? Are Arsenal going to kind of match that money that they spent on Declan Rice to go and buy Victor Ozyman? I was going to say earlier, the clause that we're talking about here is at least £102 million. I think it's more than that, but the, the sort of money that's being talked about at the moment, 
because the clause has never been fully exposed. But from all the indications, it converts to be about £102 million at least. So let's bump it up. It's probably £110 million, right? Maybe more. Are Arsenal going to... I can't see Arsenal being able to pay that. I know I've, I've been burned on this. We've talked about it before. But... They found the money for Rice last summer. They found the money for Rice. Look, and they have got champions. They are going to be in the Champions League. And they are... We should probably be judging Arsenal differently now. Um, and they are one of the clubs, actually, that when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to having the ability to spend, they have leeway. They have the freedom to actually do this as we move forward. And that is also interesting because it's still a lot of money for Arsenal, but I don't think it would like, <laughs> it's not going to bankrupt him like it might have done once upon a time. And I just feel like, do you want to go head to head with Chelsea for this one? I know they've gone head to head with Chelsea multiple times recently. Didn't get Mudrick. They did get Declan Rice. But Aussie men is like, he feels more Chelsea than Arsenal to me. I don't know why. I just feel like he's going to be, he's going to be torn between his allegiances because we've seen him talking to John Obi McCall, but he also, when he won Africa player of the year in 20, in January, he spoke about, it and he's like, I owe so much of my success to Kanu. And I was like, oh, maybe Carnu's on the blow. Like, Agent Arsenal, Carnu. Mate. Agent Carnu's getting involved as well. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. He's spoken to both of them in recent weeks. Uh, he's oh, really man's being pulled words. from pillar to post. Exactly. Uh, but he's brilliant, and I can't wait to see him in the Premier League. Um, he's, is he fail-proof? I think so, at both those clubs. I think that he can't really go far wrong in terms of scoring goals. Unless that Chelsea curse strikes again. I was about to say, um, you are never going to find me saying that a Chelsea number nine is fail-proof because I've been burnt by that before. Mate, how could he fail? How would you fail to get Victor Ozzyman scoring goals? Like, I thought this if went that Fernando happens, Torres burn side, the place man. down. Burn the this, place down. I thought it went Fernando Torres' side. I was like, there's absolutely no way. This was the banker. This is the one that couldn't <laughs> fail. Uh, and, and it did. So... Yes, I, I think he would be an excellent signing for Chelsea, obviously. He is, he's absolutely class. He has all the attributes necessary to succeed in the Premier League. He has that goal-scoring now, so that footballing intelligence to get in behind, the skill to be able to work back to goal or running in behind, the physicality to match defenders. He's complete and utter all-round forward. There is almost no weaknesses to Victor Osimhen's game. So... Wherever he goes, you assume he's going to succeed, but you won't find me saying that anything mm -hmm. fail-proof is, uh, is going to be in a Chelsea number nine shirt, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a step too far even for me, but I do agree with you on this one. So, yeah, so I'd say he is the most likely £100 million transfer that we see next. Extra shouts, though, and I want you to make a quick argument for both of these players, whether you think it's possible or not possible. Because two players that kept jumping into my mind that I didn't end up sticking them into the top five were Florian Wirtz mm. at Bayer Leverkusen and Jamal Musiala at Bayern Munich, who definitely could both be 100 million pound footballers. I'm just not sure one on Musiala. I'm just not sure he moves, but on Wirtz, who pays it? And will he go? I guess if he goes to, if, if Alonso goes to Liverpool, maybe he follows him. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, so Musiala's on the contract till 2026. It does feel like that contract extension is taking far longer than it should do. And I think it's set a couple of clubs on alert in terms of like, Ooh, what's going on there? Just peeking ahead above the parapet. Um, Vietz is contracted till 2027. I do feel like there's a space that in, in which both of them are 100 million pound players. But the kind of caveat to that Musiala maybe less so because I think that Musiala on the wing is a little bit more of a natural transition. He can get out there and, and make a difference. We have seen him at points out there for Bayern and actually Bayern a link with Wirtz. And I remember saying to someone, well, how does that work? Because that's Musiala's spot. And then, like, well, they believe that Musiala's future actually might be on the wing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Normally you get wingers coming inside to be number 10s, not 10s going outside to become wingers. But Wirtz does feel weirdly specific. Now, 
Bayer Leverkusen have set up in, in, in a number of different ways whilst he's been at the club, but he's usually been used as an out-and-out number 10 or as one of two number 10s behind a striker. And I've talked about this with, with various players before in, in different skill sets and different levels. But I think when there's a player who's this kind of specific in their role, you need to go to a club that has that specific role. And so mm-hmm. like right now, under Klopp, would I be like, Liverpool should sign Florian Wirtz? I would say no, because Liverpool don't play with a number 10, an out-and-out out, you know, number 10 as such. Yeah. Whereas I think that if Alonso went there, maybe things would change. Maybe they set up differently. I don't know quite what that looks like. Or he goes to a club that do play with that kind of out-and-out out number 10. So I think that there is the capability for him to be a wonderful player. And, and look, I would say this. There is very little, as far as I'm concerned, between Wirtz and Musiala. I think Wirtz's passing is a lot cleaner. Uh, I think that Musiala's ability to dribble out of trouble is slightly better, although I do think that there is still an element of Musiala's game where it looks like he's about to lose the ball. Now, that might be just stylistic, but it just looks a little bit messier, perhaps, um, than, than what you expect. But his ability to get himself out of trouble and, and, and play out of pressure is truly quite, quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. But two incredibly talented number 10s who in the right fit and in the for the right team, and there's been a lot of links to Barcelona for Viers. Mm-hmm. Under the current system, no. What does Xavi's successor look like? Do they play with that player looking to be the number 10? Maybe. Maybe that changes mm-hmm. things. Maybe Viers plays as a kind of inside forward. There was talk of him being the Mo Salah replacement at one point. I'm not 100% sold on that because those spaces that he picks up don't tend to be quite as wide as what Liverpool have played with with Salah. But in the right place, I think both of these have the capability to be 100 million pound footballers. I think it won't quite take that to get Wirtz out of Leverkusen. I think it'll probably be around 75, 80 million. But if he doesn't move this summer and he has another phenomenal season, then who's to say, or he has an incredible Euros with Germany, who's to say that price can't go up? Absolutely. Nice one, mate. That was, a, that was a good little roundup on those two. You've done a better job than I would have done. So I'm glad you filled us in on those because you never know. They could definitely come into that conversation. Oh, 100%. And they definitely should be considered around the conversation with the talent that both of them possess. So uh, an interesting one in that regard. And that will round us off for the main segment. We'll be back after the break with some guru wisdom. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks SC, time for part three. And of course, Guru Wisdom, over to the boys. Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom. Oh, the boys. Go on, the boys. Go on, the boys. can hear them downstairs right now. We're recording a bit later than we normally record, and they're normally at school when we do this podcast. But um, because of the transfer, I've been writing all afternoon, and Jack had to wait for me before he sets off to Fulham v Everton. Um, so it's got Jack written all over it, doesn't it? Mm, don't know, don't know. Usually, when I don't go, remember it's like um, when you don't go, we win. We win five nil. Good news. We win five nil when I don't go, mate. So Fantastic. remember that. So because it's transfer deadline week, um, I thought, what should I do? What should I enlighten people on? I was like, oh, what about my phone activity? What about how much I've been using my phone? What I've been doing with it. But yeah, just go down that route. Uh, so not going to keep you all too long. We'll just run through a few insights into what I do most of the day, which is pick up my phone most of the time. So we'll start right there. What is, Jack, the daily average of times I pick up my phone in this deadline week? What's my pickups? Can, they, can you see this? Is this a number? This is a number. This I don't know. Imp- I would be scared to see this. I'm going to say 600. No, it's actually not as high as that. 215 is my average number of times I pick up my phone. And I don't know if that's, that's less than 10. Oh, I suppose it's probably about 15 an hour when you're awake. Yeah. And bearing in mind a lot of the time, I'm just holding it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there is that there is that. like there are some hours where i'm literally just sat there on my phone so then i'm putting it down picking it up opening the screen put it back down that's this a lot wild. really i didn't even know you could do this kind of thing so this is exciting. well you could look it up uh look up your stats while we're while we're chatting if you want um what is the app i use most first after i pick it up what do you reckon it would be whatsapp it is WhatsApp, yeah. yeah. It's by a, by a long way. It's WhatsApp, the first place. 
in America, mate, do you know they don't really use WhatsApp, most people? Yeah, it's a really weird one. I I, I struggle with it when we're com- communicating with people across the pond. It's my like bread and butter for everything. Everything. In the UK, we use everyone just uses WhatsApp. The only people I speak to on iMessage are literally my mum and dad and like my aunts and aunts and stuff like that. Like or people I don't know and I'm just communicating with. That's all we use iMessage for. WhatsApp is for everything. Uh, I'm sure there are some people in America that do use it, but barely anyone I know in America does. Uh, but always, that is where all my friends are. The that only is where person most of my work that is. I speak to on text is Lucy because we said it years ago, like we just started texting each other. And it, I know for a fact that if I have a message on my iMessage, it's from Lucy. So it's actually become a really useful tool so I can separate that, that from the rest good, of my yeah. world. I'm like, because nice. often there's like 200 WhatsApps. And I'm like, I can't be able yeah. to go through all these. But if Lucy texts me, I know it's her. It's very useful. Very good. Very good. My daily average screen time. Mm. It's actually hours. down at the moment. Mm. It's actually down at the moment. Um, it's on nine and a half hours at the moment, um, which says down 10% from last week. It's Tuesday, maybe. I I thought Monday and Tuesday, I probably had been on my phone quite a lot. Interesting. That's an interesting stat. But yeah, nine and a half hours of my, my day. How many hours am I actually awake for? Yeah, I mean, 16. <laughs> I'm awake for 16 hours and I'm on my phone for nine and a half. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's wild, actually, when you think about it in context. It's, it's one of those really strange ones. Mine's, mine's nine hours. I found my pickups, which are 100, average 165. So on my phone, a little bit less than you. Okay. No, that's that, not does, too... that does add up because you are on the phone to people and contacts, whereas I am just texting you, being like, any news? <laughs> <laughs> any chance you can do this podcast with me? What are your notifications? That's, that's an interesting one. Uh, my notifications are 325. Mm, so I, I could trump you there. You 450 a day. I have everything switched off apart from WhatsApp and um, X. I'll tell you what, the best thing about the transfer window closing is the moment that window closes, my Twitter notifications are off. I do not have Fabrizio Romano and co. Pletty girl popping up the top of my screen until the summer. Um, unfortunately, I have to have a load of notifications on, but yeah, probably all of that. actually, no, WhatsApp, I don't get notifications actually, so that's it's just coming from X, um, and Patreon, so I know when our our, uh, our podcast has gone out. Um, most used apps, WhatsApp, obviously. Second, this is actually a surprise. I've actually started using Twitter, so actually, second X. is X, yeah, so that's a surprise because I've actually had to start using that. Third. YouTube. That's probably for the boys. That is 100% because of Dylan. Because number four is Bull Run 2048, (laughs) (laughs) which is a game where a bloke chases bulls around. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. There's your your different... I think my one would would probably have Instagram in that mix. Um, Yeah, WhatsApp, X, Chrome, and Instagram. And Live Score. Live Score, blimey. There you go. There's me checking all of the uh, scores all the you're time. Checking the Afcon and Asia Cup in the middle I'm of the night. I'm watching those usually. So yeah, it's true. just making a, keep an eye on everything else at the same time, <laughs> making sure that the Belgian second tier is still going off as as I thought it might do tonight. <laughs> there uh, you go. There's that, my wisdom, mate. Um, yeah, a little insight into my phone. Great, fantastic stuff. Dean's phone on deadline week. The bits and bobs you never knew you needed. And with that, we're going to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We will be back later in the week looking back at January as a whole. We're going to wait till deadline day passes and then do a little bit about some of the best deals that have gone on across the window. It's probably going to be a little bit more niche than usual. Normally when we do these, we talk about 100 million pound transfers, etc. We're going to look a little bit deeper later on in the week on this feed about some of the deals that have gone down and maybe some of the steals that you might have missed across the continent as well as in the Premier League. We'll wait till deadline day is done yet, though, to make sure that we don't miss anything out there. Thank you so much for listening as ever, and we'll see you very shortly, Rank Squad. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... 
the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 